Welcome to the Arise Podcast. I'm Tanya Anderson, CEO at Arise, and it's my pleasure to have back with me again Michael Collins, who is the Commissioner of Neighborhood and Business Development for the City of Syracuse. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Really happy to be here. So we talked about six months ago from when we're doing this podcast today about housing in the city generally and the zoning that uh, zoning code that had been really um, revamped in a significant way in the city over multiple years and about accessibility for housing stock in general. And at the tail end of that conversation, we started to talk about a housing market study that the city undertook and finalized, which is available on the website. Mm -hmm. And the concepts of a market gap and an affordability gap that exists in the city. Can you explain a little bit about that? I'm happy to. Uh, so uh, anybody that's interested in taking a look at it, Syracuse Housing Market Study, excuse me, Sy- SyracuseHousingStudy.com is where you can go find it. Lots of pictures, nice read. It is. Uh, so what we did was uh, we've, we've contracted with um, uh, an organization that does this work across the country, CZB is their name, and they have... Um, uh, they worked with us so that we looked at not just the census data, but we went out and did what we call a dashboard survey, where we physically look at every residential uh, uh, structure across the city. So every single one of them, we've, we've been able to have a visual on and, and take a look at it and see what the, the general exterior condition is, which usually reflects the interior condition. So it's through that that we really identified um, condition of property, uh, you know, understanding what properties are selling for, but also understanding what it takes to maintain the properties, right. and therefore, um, on the rental side, what, it, what does it take to be able to do that? And that's where we we very clearly identified the two gaps that you mentioned: the affordability gap, which is people's ability to pay uh, for what it takes to have quality housing, and the market gap, and that's people's willingness to pay what it takes to be able to have that type of housing. In uh, we we have a significant gap in both. Right. And so what we've uh, done is part B, and that's gone back and said, okay, so what do we do about it? And so we're in the, we're in the middle right now of the, uh, the strategy study of coming up with what are the right tools for us to be able to uh, create and put into a toolbox and, and be able to address this over a long, uh, you know, long term. Wow. Now, it's it sort of blows my mind, the, the concept of going around and looking at every single piece of housing in yeah. the city. Did you get to go along with any of these road trips? I unfortunately did not. Uh, so it was a combination of um, uh, some of our staff, uh, hiring community members, all getting trained up uh, by uh, by the team so that everybody was doing it the same way, um, and uh, just going across every block of the city. Well, I think that's um, no no disservice to you. I think it's even better that there were community members out there doing it. I do too, absolutely. <laughs> now, so we'll we'll talk a little bit more about these two gaps and the potential solutions. But were you overall surprised by any of the fi- findings in the study? So we weren't necessarily surprised by the findings in the study. Um, it's from a from an overall general standpoint, um, we we understood both of these to be challenges. What the study really did for us was help to clearly define and quantify. So um, we know now that on average, um, properties across the city need about $84,000 of investment to be able to come up to uh, uh, everything being in good condition. What we also know now is that they are not worth $84,000 more on average after that investment. So in some neighborhoods, they're worth more than that. In a lot of neighborhoods, they're not. 
Wow. So people are underwater in many ways with the housing stock. So the, yes, and what that leads to a lot of times is deferred maintenance and deferred uh, capital improvements. And so um, you know, you, you'll see a lot of blocks in the city where you don't see any of that at all. They're really strong. But you do see a lot of others, and a lot of times they're, they're rental properties where um, you know, th- there is peeling paint. The windows are, are not in, in great shape. Stairs may be uh, in need of repair. Right. And you and I talked last time about accessibility features, mm-hmm. which unfortunately for many folks are an afterthought until you have a crisis and you need them, right. which happens to many people that you will need them. Um, and if you're not taking care of the basics in terms of safety with housing, you're not thinking about accessibility. Correct. Right. So we've got this really comprehensive housing market study, and then we've got this thing called Micron that is the buzz of everyone Mm -hmm. and the demand for housing that is anticipated. How do you take those two situations and, and come up with a strategy? So uh, we're looking at it a few different ways. One is produce more housing. Uh, and so the, the mayor and the state of the city address uh, said, you know, we put that goal forward and said that we'll, over the next two years, we will um, uh, we'll have 2,500 new units uh, either fully constructed or under construction. And uh, that's, a, that's a really significant goal. We, we've never averaged anything even close to being able to, to do that. But we've got a lot of, in the pipeline. A lot of the pipeline on both the affordable side and on the market rate side. Interestingly, when when I take a look at um, uh, you know what what we expect to be built and what's being proposed to be built, it's about a 50-50 split right nice. now between those. Um, and one of the things that we put in the new zoning code is that if you're building over 20 units, you've got to have 10% of your um, 10% of the units need to be affordable. And if you're building over 75 units, 12% of the units need to be affordable. So even the market rate uh, for the ones that are larger scale projects, those will include affordable housing units as well. Nice. And then there are a couple of specific projects that were mentioned in the State of the City Address. And I think this really reflects uh, the impact of Micron. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one is a, a new proposed high rise uh, right next to the viaduct that's that'll be coming down. So uh, at uh, Fayette and Melman Street, mm-hmm. and um, we haven't had high rise um, new construction of high rise housing in, in Syracuse in decades. So that's really exciting. It is exciting to yeah. see some cranes. It's uh, I have a crane out my window right now uh, for a housing project that's on East Genesee Street, and the idea of the fact that uh, uh, a couple more might be going about my office window is is very very exciting. Definitely, nice. uh, this deputy mayor says our favorite type of bird. <laughs> um, the um, uh, the other one is at the the old Lafayette Country Club, which which straddles uh, City of Syracuse and Town of Onondaga, and 270 units of uh, single family and townhomes, and townhomes were not something that was allowable under the old code. So this is another uh, another way in which uh, the new zoning code is creating opportunity for more density of housing. Uh, that's That's been proposed, and the developers are uh, uh, making good strides in the planning for that as well. And we just, we haven't had uh, somebody come in and say, I want to do a lot of market rate single family and a lot of market rate townhomes, again, in decades. And that's the Micron effect right there, is is the recognition of the fact that Syracuse is the destination. That's so exciting. And 
Um, I know you and I were recently at an event where there was a discussion about Micron and the region and the positive economic outlook and housing came up and it's also mentioned in the housing market study the the difference between the city and the suburbs with mm -hmm. respect to um, housing quality, housing density, codes, all of those sorts of things. Can you uh, talk a little bit about really how codes are the key to having high quality housing and avoiding sprawl? So zoning, the zoning code is what tells you what you can build and what you can't. And uh, a lot of the community in Syracuse until recently as well, um, and this you see this throughout the Northeast, has fairly exclusionary zoning, uh, saying that, you know there's there's very limited choices of what you would be able to build, and we've seen in a lot of the um, uh, the suburbs that it's uh, single family homes on large lots, and and that's it. When we look at what healthy communities. Um, look like when they're uh, when they're redeveloped or, or started from new um, density walkability and um, really mixed use the ability to walk out your door and uh, you know go pick up some food for uh, either something you're going to make at home or some great takeout um, being able to, to um, walk to the park and enjoy the neighborhood in a way where you're experiencing it without having to use a car to experience it is something that uh, a city like Syracuse was originally built out for and our zoning code has come back around to being able to do. And right now um, there's a there's a push for community, and, it, and it's not just a local push, but also the governor's had a real push for uh, communities across the state to adopt similar, similar zoning codes to allow for all different types of housing. Right. And from my lens in terms of disability rights and accessibility, this makes so much sense because accessible transportation is such a huge barrier in our community for you know, someone, say there's someone who uses a wheelchair that lives in Syracuse and, and gets a job at Micron, how are they going to get there if they don't own a, a right. wheelchair van? How are they going to navigate their community? And just what you are talking about in terms of walkability, rollability, mm -hmm. it makes so much sense for accessibility and also it's greener. It's, and uh, green is a really important point. When we look at the tree canopy of the city, uh, when we look at the areas that were redlined, where back 100 years ago, the, the government said, hey, these are, these are areas that, um, based on race, you should not invest in, and they would not allow for um, uh, the backing of, of federal loans for, uh, for home purchase and home improvement. Those are the areas that have also had a lot of the, the really bad effects of urban renewal, and that shows up in the fact of, that there's been a lot of removal of the tree canopy. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, one of the ways that you experience that is that it's actually hotter in those neighborhoods right. than it is in the neighborhoods that have had the, the you know the, the older, more mature trees. And as someone who's been bald for a lot of years, <laughs> I know when, you know, I, I'm throughout all parts of the city all the time, I know what neighborhoods I cannot forget my hat in. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's not the wealthy neighborhoods. Yeah, so it's, it's literally greener and also greener in the sense that you're not burning fossil fuels to drive anywhere. And it's healthier. Right. It's just the air is cleaner, everything about it is healthier. So we, we've talked a lot about um, new housing, which mm -hmm. absolutely we're going to need. 
Let's circle back to the housing market study and the housing stock we do have here in the city, much of which, when I drive around, we've got some beautiful, beautiful housing stock. Yeah, we do. And what are we going to do about um, fixing it up, um, investing in it, getting people to see just the beauty of the city's housing? So we're looking at a variety of different tools with a, with a strategy study, and there's there's a couple things that are that are uh, bubbling up towards the surface. One is really making sure we're we're concentrating where we where we work and um, going in with tools where we're be, we're able to have um, an effect across a block is really important because if it's if it's one house here and one house there, what we found is is that's less effective. Um, but if we're able to really affect the block, that works really well. And so um, that means perhaps creating some tools where homeowners and landlords alike are able to access some funds to be able to, to do exterior improvements. So when you're driving down the street, you're able to look at it and go, yeah, this is a place where, where um, there, there's a lot of care and love for the homes that are here. Right. Um, and that affects, um, that affects how we feel about our neighborhood. Um, even when we're driving through it to get to our neighborhood. So um, one of the things that we've also found is a lot of people really feel good about their neighborhood. They're worried about a few blocks away. Right. So if you take care of that few blocks away, it has, it has a, a, a ripple effect on, on where that impact really happens. Um, uh, right, at the, uh, right at the end of the uh, calendar year, uh, Common Council approved our, our request to create a housing trust fund. So um, we have had $5 million set aside in the governor's budget uh, for the trust fund. So we're going to be working through the spring, uh, through, uh, the, now through the winter and then into the spring to be able to stand that up. And we're going to look at what, is the, what are the best ways really to deploy those funds uh, to help with the strategy work. Uh, as well as uh, really looking at, at uh, you know, $5 million is a fantastic start, but right. it's a start. So we're going to be looking at how else we can, uh, we, we can find some more funds. So that could be anything from small grants to loans or Correct. anything? Okay. Yep. And with the housing market study that you've already done, you've identified some of these blocks and neighborhoods to focus on? Correct. Yeah. Uh, so we, we've really, um, you know, we, we took the data that we got from the dashboard studies and uh, the census data. And, um, and and all the other market data, and what we did was we we chose to um, uh, map it out so that we could really take a look at neighborhoods by strength of the housing stock, right. and so that's really helping us figure out where if we make an investment here, what's the impact of the investment right there, and what would that look like elsewhere? We don't have enough money to do it all at once, so uh, there's a lot of planning and how does this happen in a, in a fair and equitable way? Right, and. I know that um, I might. This might be uh, maybe a loaded question, but landlords they get kind of a bad rap generally as um, not caring about the property as much as someone who owns the property. I know there's all kinds of landlords out there, like all kinds of homeowners. What is your view on owner occupied versus rented properties in the city. Do you think we have a good balance? Should it be shifting one way or the other? So um, we right now we are a renter heavy city. We have more more rental units than we do owner occupied units. Okay. Um, the what we do find is that there's a, a wide as you said a wide range of landlords. Uh, most of them care. Right. Uh, most of them really do. Um, 
but with the uh, you know with the study, we've also identified that that there are there are fiscal challenges to doing that business properly, mm-hmm. um, and so if we're able to grow the market, then that helps and make sure that that the the funds really are there, and if we do it in a way that includes more affordable housing, then that means uh, as well, then that means that people aren't priced out of the market uh, as the as a regular you know the unregulated side of the market mm-hmm. shifts. Um, and so that's why we really need to focus on both at the same time. Right. Because if we just focus on the market, it pulls the affordability gap into an even worse position. In the same way that if we just focus on affordability, then there, um, it's not an attractive place from a market standpoint. So that's another one of the, the balancing acts that we're going to have to figure out. Uh, to your question of, you know, is this the ideal situation? I think the ideal situation is where we have manage to increase the income of more of our population so that they are have more choice themselves in where they live. Right. Well, I can um, appreciate such a complex issue that you are tackling, and you are absolutely correct that we have to do it all at once, but it's also difficult to do it all at once. So um, I wish you the best of luck in solving our housing issues here in the city of Syracuse. <laughs> I appreciate that. Ar- Arise is an organization that certainly knows how to successfully tackle challenging problems. So, well, thank uh, you. so it's nice to hear that. With great partners like you. And the so the, the next stage with the housing market study with this different proposed strategies, that's due to come out this spring? That'll come out this spring. Okay. We're yeah. on target for May? We are. That's great. Yeah. All yeah. right. So everyone should get on the website with, for the city, which is? So the city website is syr.gov. And uh, you can access it through there if you just type in Syracuse Housing Study into the, uh, into the search bar or you can go to SyracuseHousingStudy.com. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you, Tanya. For more information on how you can support Arise, visit our website at ariseinc.org. Support Arise. Support Independence. <laughs>